my name is Ken Masson, and I am the president of the Rotary Club of World Disability Advocacy. Um, we're a club that is dedicated to the human rights of people uh, globally. Um, and I'm here with one of our members, um, Dr. Sylvia. Welcome, Dr. Sylvia. It's a pleasure. Thank to you, Ken, for having me. Okay, you're you're. I'm in Colombia, and you're in Kenya. So yeah, the world the world gets smaller and smaller thanks to the internet. So. <laughs> yeah, thanks to technology, <laughs> things are now coming together. It's like one small oyster you can access anything. Yeah, I love it. I really love it. Um, mm -hmm. So why don't you tell people about yourself and uh, who you are and the work that you're doing? Okay, for a start, my name is Dr. Sylvia Moramo Chabo Akinsiku. Um, a graphic designer and a brand consultant first, and that's why I'm introduction. I'm an entrepreneur. I run a company called Tech Hub Holdings, which handles events, branding, and different uh, trade names. But why I'm in this space for today, I am a mother of three, and two of my kids are on the autism spectrum, which um, led me to starting Andy Speaks for Special Needs Persons Africa, where we champion for inclusion of persons with neurodevelopmental disabilities. On top of that, I serve at the Kenya's National Council for Persons with Disabilities, representing organizations for persons with disabilities and uh, the neurodiverse community and caregivers. In a small nutshell, to shrink it. <laughs> right. and, and was it because of your ch your children that you got involved in the, in the profession? Yes. So what I'm doing at the moment is using my graphic design, PR, branding, know-how and skills to raise awareness about autism and uh, other neurodevelopmental disabilities because we have the same challenges. And um, uh, I've raised my kids now for 13 and 11 years, and it was quite something in terms of getting lost, getting a lot of stigma, getting all the negativities, and just felt it's not a fair way, you know, and what I could do to make it better for the next parent who might get her diagnosis or uh, at least someone who does not know where to start from. So just to support and champion for policies to be changed in our systems. Um, it's a bit different here in Kenya and Africa and generally the Sub-Saharan, we share the same stories of stigma and uh, no access to assistive devices, lack of knowledge and information, access to medical support, education, social protection is not, it's just, shoestring survival to pay the list so and that is why i do what i do because i'd like okay. to change in that space yeah. god god bless you for doing all that and what are the some of the challenges that you face doing that kind of work hmm, challenges are many first of all there is balancing your own personal challenges because you see at the end of the day i'm still a caregiver my i'm balancing that my needs the needs of the community and balancing your time also with my day job because at this point it's like my day job does 20 percent and 80 percent is advocacy and uh championing for inclusion also the lack of information and uh, the stigma in even in the spaces of advocacy because not many people really do know and understand what autism and developmental disabilities are about so you will find it will be the general conversation of other uh, disability sensory and physical you know and uh, when you raise the issues because you're the minority you have to do a lot of explaining as opposed to when majority of the people in the room share the same disabilities so you find it being in a room where you're the only person championing 
and um, sometimes you need, feel like you need backup and there are very few people who actually have the luxury of their time to also participate, especially in like the public advocacy spaces uh, because of, like I said, the challenges, of course, there's financial constraints because all this is for sacrifice. It's not like uh, you're getting paid to do it. So that, there is also that fatigue that comes sometimes when you're listening to also your fellow caregivers and the days when you're yourself, you're drained out and you just, uh, and you find that they are supposed to be more understanding the days when you're like, mm -hmm. okay, today, can I talk to you just a bit later, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like that ownership of like, you are supposed to listen to me, you know, I was, mm -hmm. and, and you know, I'm also an individual and I also, I'm going through the same things and actually worse still, I have two, not just one. So it, it, it's quite a challenge, but, you know, when God puts something in you, you deliver. So I always just pray for grace to be able to handle it. And even when I'm wary, um, just to go through and uh, be a beacon of hope to someone else. Yeah. Right. I mean, the work of, a, of an advocate is you have your good days and you had your bad days. But bottom line is you never forget the cause. You never forget yeah. why you're doing it. And that's what keeps you going. Yes. Um, and, and particularly you work with autism because autism is certainly misunderstood in, in many cases by people who don't understand autism, basically. Mm -hmm. And an autistic person can be totally mis, misread. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a challenge there because the, uh, people who are not aware of autistic people are people that... Um, will see it totally wrong. So God bless you for doing that kind of work. So let's talk about inclusion a little bit. We'll, we'll get into the care together because I don't know why my camera is out of focus here, but I'm going to try to ignore it because you're the more important one than me. So um, I um, inclusion, uh, that word is used a lot. Yes. You want to talk a little bit about what inclusion is to you? Sometimes I feel like our definitions for inclusion is not standardized when you sit in different platforms. And uh, there are times where I feel like equity is more like what we, we actually need when we're talking about autistic persons. Why do I say this? When we talk about, let's say, education, and we say, okay, we want free education for all. And then you put all the children in a school and then you mix them up, right? When we're talking mm -hmm. about integration. But we have one teacher who's supposed to serve all of them. Is that mm -hmm. really important? Because I'm expected to learn the same way as everyone else. Yet, as mm -hmm. an autistic person, I learn things differently. I might have been, I need a different environment, uh, less crowded. So, yes, there is inclusion, yet there is equity. And in this journey, mm -hmm. um, what actually is the greater challenge in policy is pushing for equity. But if you, if you look at some of the benefits that usually come when we're talking about um, inclusion, that um, we need equal rights, we need access to justice, we need access to education and health, etc. But then the kind of healthcare I need as an autistic person is not the healthcare that a visually impaired person will require, right? Uh -huh. So for me as an autistic person, you have to look at my entire spectrum of my needs. Yeah, I need uh -huh. the therapy, the three of them. I will still need uh, a support person in the house if we're having um, a nutritionist. This is required because we have issues with nutrition. And um, I will need a 
if, if you have a comorbid condition of let's say epilepsy i will still need to have my neurologist if i have issues with gastro i need a gastro controls and you find the challenge is as opposed to let's say a person of half hearing who will maybe need an or the specialist for their ears that's one person so i need five and one but i me getting uh, access for my autistic child for healthcare, as much as it's written as free, is very difficult. Yeah. Right. So, what is the inclusion in that? Yet, it clearly says in the policies that there should be free access to healthcare for persons with disabilities. Yet, even just getting the normal, um, getting covered with the normal medical care is almost a mission impossible. You know, I've had instances where you going to the hospital because they say because of the pre-existing condition we're not going to cover your child so it it, it weighs on the parent so uh -huh. going further than just general inclusion as we have them in the SDGs and UNCRPDs we need to have that section of according to the needs of an individual that is where we will get the true inclusion and integration and equity because if you just place me in the room without giving me the tool that may, I need to survive in that room you have just 20% of the 80, you know, because now you're introducing other barriers, you know, because right. I'm now in that room and something else that has come up and I need to, you know, keep up with it as an autistic person because of all the areas of the spectrum that you need to look at from behavior to sensory, you know, and communication. So that's that's where I feel we still have a way of going. Yes, we have the policies in place, but the implementation side of it I think we have a lot of work to do. Oh, we got a lot of work to do. And excuse me while I try to clean this. Hey, did it? Okay, so I mean, there's a lot of work to do. And I mean, you can almost name any area of life, and there's work to do in those areas. Um, as advocates on bringing awareness and better understanding. So. I mean, you talk about the medical profession in particular as one area that, that needs more work on. Um, and I was reading an article uh, mm -hmm. about uh, doctors, uh, and this is not in general because we don't want to generalize situations, yeah. but many mm -hmm. times doctors just have no idea how to work with a disability, a person with disability, nor do, and, and sometimes they even have a bit of an attitude that you have to work with. Too. Um, yeah. Have you run into those situations? Ah, of course, many a times. Yeah. So that's where now relationship with medical professionals really, really matter. Most of them, um, I might come, I'm the parent, and I'm telling you this is the situation and this is how my child works with things. But there is that attitude of I'm the doctor, you know. And uh, you know, sometimes there are things like in cases of emergency, let's say you're having uh, epileptic seizures and you go and you give the instruction, this is what you need, and this is what works from your experience. But it will be more of like, this is what I feel. I'll give you an example of a time when I was going through a very tough time. I had, uh, that was the only doctor I could see who was assigned by the hospital to my child. Uh, but it was a time I was very low as we always, well, financially I could not access. And, um, when I was asked to go, you know, when they're, they're adding medication and I was like, I don't think I can afford this. Mm -hmm. And the doctor asked me, then why are you here? You see, I'm mm -hmm. already going through enough 
trying to, and it was the early days of just uh, getting to understand what autism was and what was going on and the other challenges that were coming with it. And then this is a doctor telling me that. And two days later, we get admitted in hospital and, uh, and the doctor just did not come to check on my son. So who do you cry to, you know? I am here, yes, at the point I did not have the cash flow, but then at least the medical cover at that point was taking care of the inpatient and you do not show up as a doctor. You know, of course, as, as a mother, that was the end of it. And I, I don't think there is anything that can ever take me back to that doctor, but doctors need to be first have empathy. Yes, you could be having a long day. You have no idea how much of a longer day I could be having because sleepless nights are like part of our story. Every day there's something new, a new surprise uh -huh. you're just into, uh -huh. you know, and being judgmental. It just needs listening to because if that answer had come differently from right. the doctor that attitude i'd be encouraged but you see at that point there was now added resentment I, I i don't know if i've ever let go of that heart but every time i think about it as much as we say forgive and forget there are things that are very hard to forget because as a professional i think that was very unethical and maybe i'll get over it one day <laughs> But uh, <laughs> there, there are many issues and then like when we have long queues and long lines, if, if doctors know, I'll be biased on talking about autism and because that's my life experience as much as I do. But the neurodiverse conditions and the challenges which are less uh, spoken to, you find that if a doctor has said we have appointment, you know it takes you like half an hour. You're dealing with autistic children. Let appointment be appointment where you can because the longer we sit like in the waiting area by the time i'm going in as a mother i'm pulling my hair because okay. i've been chasing a hyper child up and down they are already dysregulated because of the environment but maybe they get hungry and they want something they cannot access you know the comfort items steaming items that's why you find we will travel with so many things just to make sure there is peace so that me and mm -hmm. my child will have peace of mind but then the doctors will keep you there for over three four hours which is not fair to the caregiver or the child, you mm -hmm. know? So we're going to be having that. Let's have them inclusive spaces. If you understand my patients are autistic, you know, they have sensory issues, then make sure your waiting area can accommodate them. They need space to walk around. They need, you know, like sensory items. They need just those small extra mile items that are required. So our healthcare mm -hmm. system needs to remember that. It's not too much to ask because at times you will find I will come for one reason, I'm living with something else. Or you will see characteristics that are just momentary for that time because they've been dysregulated, you know. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of accommodations that they need to extend. Sometimes you call, it's an emergency, you can't access your doctor. We have our kids, but there are times when you just don't know what to do because you're handling a lot. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, there is no manual to raising an autistic child or any child with disabilities, especially the neurodivergent, where every day is a different story, you know, mm -hmm. and considering like autism is an entire spectrum, but then none are the same, none look like none have the same characteristic. It, it's just a matter of accommodate me, accommodate you, share information, be kind enough when you're giving diagnosis, you know, remember I'm a human being, I'm not prepared for this, you know, if there is information and guidance, because I remember after diagnosis, it's just like, oh, your child is autistic, you'll be having challenges. And even when you're giving hope, manage 
the parents' expectation. Because I know like the first time I was hanging so much for the day my child will turn five, because I had that like, oh, by the time they're five, the convulsions will end. We are at 13, it's almost getting worse. And there was that hope that you were hanging on to. So just being honest and gentle, empathetic, communicate. It's not just listen, 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 you don't tell me anything. You just scribble and tell me, go to pharmacy or see you in three weeks. You know, take me through with you in the journey. It's a journey for you to understand where I'm coming from. If I have to, if there are things I've noted, try and elaborate it to me that this happens maybe because of this, because of that. And so that you feel like you're walking this journey together. And it's not, I come here, tell you one, two, three, and I have to see you and pay you every three months for what? For you to confirm if the meds are fine or not, and then you move on. So it's it's a whole relationship. Yeah, if I'm seeing if I'm seeing other support, um, like now for autism, maybe I'm seeing a developmental pediatrician on top of the of the neurologist, and I have the GP. Maybe we have sight issues, like for 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 persons with Down syndrome or cardio issues. At least once in a year, let's sit together as a team. You know, yep. what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are we? What is our end game? All of us, so that that synergy. Okay will bring faster results. Other than today, I'm here repeating the same story. I'm repeating the same story here. And it's all scattered. I think that would be a strategy that would bring forth better ways of managing the system and managing a child on the spectrum. Yes. OK. And there's so much more to talk in that area. But let, let's move on to let's move on to education, inclusive okay. education. Well, tell me you know, about your thoughts on inclusive education, where it is, where it should be going. Mm -hmm. um, good things it's doing, areas it can improve on. Any thoughts on that? Two days ago, I had an argument about <laughs> the separate, <laughs> separation, inclusion, integrated, because all those are different systems, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll, cause we have different, and this, this is professionals, professionals having discussions, and the argument was we need inclusive education. What does inclusive education entail? That's mm -hmm. the starting point. When we're talking about an integrated system, what expectations are we having as parents, as students, as teachers? We don't just have, I'll, I'll be very biased to our system down here in the South, right? Specifically, demographically to Kenya, because we have just started um, assimilating with inclusion and uh, integration of children and there's the, this integrated system, a change of, of um, uh, the curriculum has come in place. But when you go down to the grass, as much as that is where the ministries is written, there is the career guidelines, but when you come down on the ground into a class with children who are differently abled, do they have actually the assistive learning devices that they require? I'll tell you, I went to a school, a public school, where there was 35 students who were all uh, having various disabilities. So I was imagining a classroom with that, not imagining, I was in a classroom with children with autism, some with cerebral palsy, some with intellectual disabilities, you can name it in all severity, with one teacher and one assistant. So does that mean that that school or the education system is inclusive just because the school has a special unit where the children are? That's the big question. And that's where I'm saying we need to change the conversation to equity. Because as much as we have uh, the, the children and being provided for a space, 
it's not a daycare where I go dump my child and pick them at the end of the day. I expect to see progress. I expect my child to be learning in the way they learn. If it is a tactile learner, you know, mm -hmm. if it's a visual learner, if it's a um, kinetic learner, you know, let's make adjustments. But where does the system fail us in this? In the first place, 2 to 34. That's insane. My own kids drive me crazy. I can't even doing homework. Okay, I, I always say this in all honesty. I can't be a teacher for children. <laughs> Adults maybe a little easier. But it is a lot of work. Yeah. And I salute teachers and specifically special needs teachers. Because just trying to understand the needs of every student and how to handle them when they're having difficulties. So apart from that, the, the, we have a project that Andy speaks where we, we, are, we are pushing for access to therapy because we know for the neurodivergent therapy is very key. And when you're sitting in conversations, you as a parent, you know what it means both for you. It saves me time from going to therapy, saves me time pulling my child from school. It is part of their system. That means I've seen it in Ethiopia. It has worked. Like if I go to the entry level, to the end, I cannot even identify a child who's autistic learning, I don't know, four languages, you know, that kind of accommodation. So that's, that's as much as it's the only school that has done it and gotten it because they have the resources, you know, that is what sets us apart. Do you do it right according to what is needed? Do you give the students what they need to learn the way they need? Do you give them the amount of attention? Well, because when they enter in that school, it is one-to-one -one therapist. It is entirely therapy, therapy the whole day for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it goes reducing as they get more independent. And mm -hmm. these are some of the interventions that as much as we're talking about it, someone else does not understand. Like, what do you mean therapy? How is it going to assist? How does therapy actually affect education? So until we let go of the prejudices that we have mentally and attitudinal barriers that are there, and just have open-mindedness to listen and have conversations and have the right people uh, at the table when you're making decisions. When it starts, not when you finish, then we have to fight for, oh, you did not listen to us, or oh, now we have to bring our list of wars and things we need to do. It's a waste of resources. Now I say if you have, um, like they say, no, nothing for us without us. And uh, the minute you get it right that way and you get to understand, then we'll be able to have solutions in inclusion that actually and benefit persons with disabilities according to their disabilities. Mm -hmm. and, and you know I, I have the greatest respect for teachers I mean they have to understand all their students and each student learns differently but particularly for in the special needs situation where different types of disabilities and 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 intellectual disabilities and all that they certainly they all can learn but they all learn differently so to understand how to work with um such a vast area of is is i'm very respectful for them i think my personal thought is that it's not the teacher it's the fact that they maybe weren't given the opportunity to educate themselves um, so maybe there needs to be more work on that to try to train the teachers. And train the teachers the right, at the right time, because also if you look at our education system, it's like a circle, right? This teacher mm -hmm. had to go train as a teacher. So what the teachers are being taught at the tertiary level also matters, because in the investigation, until the point you decide you're going to be specializing with uh, special needs, um, mm -hmm. 
we are creating a gap. My, my thoughts are we are creating a gap you, instead of teaching all teachers about special education. And then now, like, let it be an introduction part so that if someone has passion, they get to know the basics. It's the same mm -hmm. way you do sciences, then you decide if you want to specialize in chemistry or not. The same way if you decide to be a doctor, then you specialize to decide if you're going to be a surgeon or dentist. It's, but you get the basics. So we need to ensure that our colleges are taking seriously the disability and inclusion matters. Because this, at the point of integration, no, at the point of early intervention, if I'm brought for a student who is dyslexic, I will not write them off as being stupid or not understanding or basically with ADHD. I will have at the back of my mind an idea that, wait a minute, this could be dyslexia or this could be dysgraphia or this, mm -hmm. instead of calling them a clumsy child, you know, all this branding that starts from school and then it becomes permanent and ends up messing children for the rest of their lives. Right. So if oh, yeah. we, we empower them to be persons who can identify, early identifiers, then bring it out to the parents. You know, because some parents don't have access to know other than their your typical disabilities. It will be right. something that I'll be like, okay, wait, that looks like X, Y, Z, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a regular right. class. And maybe I can bring in the special education teacher and seek their opinion and how to approach the parent. Because even at this point, it's very key how they approach parents. Because some mm -hmm. can go ill on you depending on how you deliver the message. Mm -hmm. that, because stigma is very great. I would like to, it is one of those things that um, when as a special needs parent, you enter a room with your children, you have to brace yourself to just have the strength of, I know some of us have gotten to a point of I don't care, but there is that parent who's still struggling with their family. So going out to public becomes harder. Or you're in a community where disability is something unspoken of. And if a teacher approaches you to say, oh, I think your child has a disability, you'll be like, no, no don't, I don't want to hear it, you know? Right. It's just how the African society is. We have a lot of cultures that look down upon um, persons with disabilities that mm -hmm. no one wants to be associated. Right. And what, that's one of the areas that the club, actually, the Rotary Club World Disability Advocacy is working on or will be working on. And our goal will be to try to educate the parents so that the parents understand whether their child is getting a good education or not getting a proper education. And if that is the case, it's, let's say it's not a proper education, that they will advocate for change. So uh, the club will be working on that over the next year. So let's let them move to another area because you're so multi-diversity in, in your in your in your thinking. Um, let's talk about employment. Oh. Employment. How about inclusion with employment with people with disabilities? What is your thoughts on that? Um, I think inclusion in employment in our African contexts applies for persons with physical disabilities. And even they have a hard time getting it. It's non-existent for the neurodiverse community because it is an injustice that starts from the early years. If we don't give them proper health care, we don't give them proper education or uh, inclusive and integrated systems and environments that are conducive for them to be able to integrate into the community, how or not do we expect them to work? 
Right. That's usually my greatest question. Yes, you've given a policy about the there there is a set aside. Like here in Kenya, we have five percent employment. Government tenders five percent are dedicated to. What about that child who cannot gain get into gainful employment? You know, mm-hmm. yet we do. We're even still struggling with school transition, where we have ECDs and we do not have tertiary. We do not have. Uh, vocational centers that can accommodate children with uh, disabilities accordingly because the school much work when you go to the office your cv is right but the minute you mention oh i'm a person with disability your cv is put aside because you're going to become more of a liability take for example the epileptic how many get a seizure in the office and that's the end of your job you know that's an injustice but who do you run to as a person with such disabilities because you, you're being fired because you had a seizure because you need a timeout so that accommodation that employers need to make so that if it's let's say my room i cannot uh, maybe my the sensory of sick person is too much light get me a corner where the light is controlled oh you're coming to start changing the infrastructure of the office it's too much work having you you know so that attitude first of all is what we need to work on and if you go to any place, and even if you look at our systems, it says, I was reading the Disability Act for our, um, our country and it states minimum accommodation. Who defines minimum? What exactly is minimum? To the general public, because my lift has audio, my lift has tactile, oh, there is a ramp. Mm-hmm. We are very inclusive. Our office building is fully inclusive. Are we really? Why are we talking about minimum to that level? We have not met the person who needs that extra accommodation. So it's not a fair world. And if we're talking about getting to a level when, where diversity, equity, and inclusion is met, then we need to go back to the drawing board and look at the policies that we put in place. And then the other thing is, if I am denied employment on basis of um, my disability, who do I run to? When the justice system times now, we have cases where um, something as blaring as sexual assault of a person with disability is being thrown off. As if you, you, I don't want to say you deserve it, but the attitude that you receive from the people who are supposed to be protecting you, yeah? I'm, mm-hmm. just, I'm not digressing, but just to paint a picture. So now in the employment space, where they have the choice of hiring at their own discretion, right. where do you end up? So first we fix the systems, education, health, so they access, we train them, we bring out their talent, and then now we can say, okay, now let's put them in the job market and create those opportunities, not just for paper, but keenly intentional, intentional in that you're ready to change your spaces. The same way the movement about women inclusion has been there. Oh, now a lactating mother, there's a lactating room in the office. Why is it so hard? Absolutely, and, and, I, and I was in the um, in the employment business for people with uh, developmental disabilities, and um, I, I particularly think the interview process is very ableistic. Um, and um, for example, you, and ableism, by the way, for those who don't uh, are familiar with the term, is basically a discrimination against people with disabilities. So um, you take, for example, an autistic person in a job interview. That autistic person, not always, but many times, will not do a good job in the in the interview process. Um, mm-hmm. For example, they may not have good eye contact, and that will be misread. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they may answer the questions very directly and not diplomatically. <laughs> um, and that's going to hurt them. So I, I think a lot of work needs to be done on thinking about the interview process um, and not only the fact of how questions are being asked or how people are being perceived, but is the interview really the right approach to getting a job? Is that a really good? Maybe it's better and, 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 to give them, give them a chance, give them a chance to show what they can do. Practical, you know, don't write me off just because I came and I sat with you for five minutes. You can imagine an, an autistic person getting into a new space, seeing new faces, it's a new room, the lighting and the colors are maybe not favorable for them. And then here comes, I need to have eye contact, I need to process what you're saying and answer you within a certain time frame. And I'm still adjusting my sensory to just align with all the environmental triggers that could be in that space, you know. Right, and exactly. then they don't even know beginning. Because you see now, because of that attitude of the minute you mention a disability or written off, maybe if it was practicals first, someone said they were asked to do a practical, then they were the best. But the minute they walked in and they saw the person had a physical disability, and that is how they lost the opportunity uh, because of all oh, the face. You know, right. Exactly. So we have a lot of stigma in very many levels. So let's talk about an area I know that's of much interest to you, and that's caregivers. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about caregivers and inclusion. How does that work? Um, we're still pushing to for it to work. Yeah. <laughs> so how does it work for it to work? Because at least most of them, are, most of other PWDs are self-advocates because they can. For example, why I do it is because I have non-verbal children, right? They're partially mm -hmm. verbal, but it is basic communication. I need water, I want to go there, I like it, I don't like it. That's basic communication. If someone does something that might not be able to express it to me, I just know they're not happy. Or they use one word to say, but I can't I get, get into the business. But when they're hurt, as a parent, I'm the one who's hurt. That's one point. Two, you look at the system that if we do not empower the parents to be the voice for their children, discrimination will go on and they will take it as it is the norm. Anyway, we are the minority. So that right. needs to change. And we need more voices because we all have different experiences. Yeah. And right. if we come together and raise our voices as one, we'll be had. And what people forget, that child you're planning for who has a disability cannot go anywhere unless as a parent, as a caregiver, I be intentional to accept, love them for who they are and mm -hmm. take them out to take the opportunities that are there for them mm -hmm. to have healthcare, for them to have the education, for mm -hmm. them to also go out for those um, employment opportunities. I have to work with them, encourage them when they come at the end of the day with all the strife they face outside. I have to be the one to listen and be the one to protect and shoulder them. Right. But then you're not in that conversation because it's them who have to do it. Maybe you are better at doing it and understanding it because you have that close, intimate relationship with that person with disability right. and you're able to, you know, articulate it because you're living and walking the journey. And then if we look only at the life of the person with disability, right? right. For example, right now, our benefits for, let's say, car importation, for tax exemption, is set for persons with disability. My child, because of epilepsy, because of um, not being intellectually capable to take some very complex instructions and also their fine motor skills, 
might never be able to drive. Yet right. there is a clause that it is them. It has to be important over them. Yet that caregiver is the one who carries that child to, on their back to take them to therapy, to try and do all this. I've met parents who they're the ones now looking for therapy because their backs can't do it no more. And they, mm -hmm. don't, they can't afford wheelchairs, you know. So who's mm -hmm. suffering here? We are breaking our backs to build our children. But if right. we don't work with us together as a team, it's not a win-win situation. Win-win right. in terms of if I am able and capable to be supported by government so that I'm able to go work comfortably and provide for my child. Mm -hmm. When we say, oh, market spaces are kept aside for persons with disability, my child cannot sell, they cannot count. They still can't even color within a circle and they're 13. What are 13-year-olds doing? They're doing great things, you know? And it breaks you as a parent because you want to do something. And most of us quit our jobs to do caregiving. So if that support system does not come from the from the government and provision and recognition right. that some of these benefits need to be extended to the caregivers, because we are the ones who 24-7 have to make sure this child can do some of the things. Right. Then we're moving. So if I'm supposed to care, provide food, yes, I can I, I have so many other bills to take care of. And supposed to be getting medication for those who are on medication, getting specialist advice, and you're not empowering me, you're not giving me that tax relief to be able to accommodate all these other extra expenses. It's an unfair state. Right. And uh, I know, and I can speak for the United States because that's where I was from. Um, and um, and I worked in an employment situation in a in a nonprofit. And I was shocked that people getting jobs as caregivers who had zero background in it. There was no training for them. I mean, it's such a critical job. Yeah. Um, there needs to be more training for the caregivers. Yes, and, and, and accessible free training if possible. Because if you come and tell me I need to pay for a course to do caregiving, then I'm already struggling, you know. Those, some of those reasonable accommodations to just meet someone halfway or even have an agreement where I will train you for free, then as you get paid, you can be, you know, the same way we do for universities and education, you owe, and then you pay back when things are stable, you know, different levels of empowerment are there. It's just that accommodation to uh, be able to meet each other halfway is non-existent. Let's say we've got, uh, say, where are we, time? Oh, let's say we got another five or 10 minutes. <clears throat> So I know you and I are both in Rotary. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I'm the president of the Rotary Club of World Disability Advocacy, and, and you are an honorary member. We're so glad to have you on board. And uh, you're also active in Rotary in Kenya. <clears throat> and when we talk about inclusion, that's also important in Rotary because um, people with disabilities are 15 to 20% of the world, um, probably more. Uh, and which makes it the largest minority in the world. And I know Rotary organizations, Lions Clubs, other organizations are constantly looking for members, but oftentimes they, they don't bring in the person with disabilities for various reasons of mostly because of um, lack of knowledge. So I just want to give a little plug, if anybody's out there in Rotary, um, uh, to think about the people with disabilities um, and being members of your club. Inclusion is important. There was a cartoon that I saw that a person was talking to a hotel manager and said, your hotel is not accessible. 
and the manager said, well, we don't have anybody with disabilities here. And it's the same thing with Rotary. If you're not accessible, you know, you're not going to have people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, and I know you work on the district level too in Kenya, and hopefully you can get some influence over there to make sure that people with disabilities are included and looked at for their abilities and how they would be a good Rotarians, not because they have a disability. <clears throat> and, and that includes both physical disabilities and, and neurological <laughs> intellectual disability, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I know I was talking to a in one particular situation when the person said, "Well, we had an autistic person in the in the in the in the, um, in the event we were doing, but they disrupted everything." <clears throat> well, that's a misunderstanding. <clears throat> Not on the autistic side, but on the person. Yeah. yeah, they they were disrupting for a particular reason, but they really were not disrupting. They were being themselves. Yeah. So, I just want to give a little plug on Rotary on all that. <clears throat> so. We talked about a lot of the challenges that are going on. There are many more that we can talk about. Um, but let's get down to what is the power of the individual? What can a person do to try to change the system? Um, it takes one person from different levels to change the system and to have that ripple effect. When the water is calm, all of it is calm in a glass. But one drop of water can cause a ripple effect. And that is the power of an individual. If you choose to stand up and go and have those hard conversations and make the sacrifices, because being an advocate is actually a sacrifice. Uh, I've not seen my kids, I think I saw them for like three hours because of work and being out there and supporting the system. Those are the sacrifices that it takes. Yet I know as an individual, I might not leave to see my children benefit for what we are fighting for now. If I get to, I'll be very, very happy. But I trust and believe whatever the little that we're getting back, it takes only one person to stand up and one voice to change the system. So long as also the other voices, as much as you might not um, come out and stand out, be that backbone, help them push the conversation on the grassroots. Because you can do so much as an individual, especially when something is of such great magnitude. Because it requires a lot of resilience, you know. It requires a lot of energy, a lot of grit, a lot of um, strength physically and emotionally, especially. Mm -hmm. And um, just not to give up because you can't, you know. It takes that one person to start the conversation for it to keep going and others to join in because even the light starts with the matchstick. The matchstick lights the candle, the candle can light another candle and another candle. That's the power of one. So if each one of us just does it in our small areas in a little way, and look at it, then it will become a bigger ripple effect. If you look at it, and the, the ocean did not just appear, right? It takes all the raindrops to form in all their different places and the rivers to form and come and drain in the ocean. And then we have this massive body that we all, you know, respect. Mm -hmm. So if we all come together, just in your small way as, a, as an individual, as much as you say, oh, but I'm a good. No, that one small person is what it takes to be heard. Just with the right positioning, talk to the right, you know, uh, change makers 
And I'm sure if all of it comes together, because if you talk to this person, they go to another room, someone else mentions that, oh, someone was talking about this. That makes two, right? Actually not two. Two people talked about it, four people are now talking about it. Right. And that's the ripple effect. Let's just go out there and do it, no matter how many more. In Swahili, we have a saying that says, haba na haba hujaza kibaba, which means um, small bits in the end fill up the whatever it is that you want to do, right? So that is it. And it's the same aspect that we say when we want to do change. If I'll give an example of like Wangari Matai is one of our, um, the Wangari Matai, she's uh, awarded the Peace Watch. That, 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 that international award for peace. But when she was here in Kenya talking about trees and planting trees, we all thought like, you know, most of the people were like, why is this woman forever walking, demonstrating, walking with pigs and trees? But look at the conversation now, right? Yes, the Nobel Prize, Peace Prize. Look at, at the conversation now, it's all climate change. But here in Kenya, nobody will forget that Wangari was talking about this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, depending on how old you are and how what point you have conversation. So we just mm -hmm. keep going, we just keep giving. Don't tire, pray for grace. I'm sure God God always gives grace. I'll tell you for free, I could not wake up today, but here I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so just, just keep moving. What you had to say was so perfect. I'm not even going to add to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's perfect. Um, so uh, I'm, the, I'm the president of the Rotary Club of World Disability Advocacy, where, where we work on global human rights issues around the world. Um, if people need to get in touch with, uh, would like to get in touch with the Rotary Club, uh, there it's rotarywda at gmail.com. And Dr. Sylvia, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, how can they do that? Um, my social media, just as my name is stated, Sylvia Mochabo Akinsiku, I always respond. We have Andy Speaks for Special Needs Persons, which is the organization that I champion through. And we are on Instagram as Andy Speaks. On Twitter, we usually have great conversations on mass quality, to see what's going on current affairs. That is Andy Speaks with the number four at the end. And for our website is www.andyspeaksforspecialistpersons.org. And we have actually an information web portal where we have demystified all these neurodevelopmental disabilities and autism, what it is, how to manage it, and literature to read if you want to diverse, to like immerse yourself into the details of it, and support systems for parents, linkages, an e-commerce platform for testing of um, assistive devices. It's taken me four years to get that together. <laughs> In the bid to just make it easier from the very many phone calls of parents trying to know where to go. Because in the resource platform, we're trying to also enlist all the schools, all the doctors, hospitals that offer the various services that are there. Because trust me, it's like a maze out there when you're trying to walk this journey. So um, that would be the best. So for personal email, uh, you can use the office's support at Andy Speaks for Specialist.org or Sylvia with a Y at Andy Speaks for Specialist Persons of ORG. All of that is available. Very good. Thank you. And, and there's a WhatsApp there on the website. You can WhatsApp through there. Very good. Thank you. So we're in 
we're going to have you back at some point um, because you've got such a wide range of um, things you can talk about. And I, I know you're getting more involved in the club and much appreciate that and I'm looking forward to working more with you on this. So thank you very much. And uh, we will hope everybody has a, has a good day. All right. Thank you for having me and for the opportunity to discuss inclusion okay. matters. Thank Very you. Good. Have a fabulous evening or night or morning. <laughs> <laughs>